My name is Roland Ramos, producer for Artifications. I'm an arts curator, musician, and organizer based out of Brooklyn, New York. Artifications is a series of documentaries and podcasts designed to make the international art world more accessible. So, if you love to travel, we do the heavy lifting of finding the best a city has to offer by way of culture. If you're an artist, we ask the questions any visiting artist would want to ask before considering a show there. Artists are dreamers, and here at Artifications, we dream big. Visit us at artifications.us to check on our bank of mini-documentaries, podcasts, and our growing list of hyper-localized artist resource pages. We're focusing today on an interview that we had with Julie Armbruster from the Asheville Arts Area in North Carolina. Asheville is really an anomaly where the title of the documentary that was produced was called The Biggest Little Art Scene in America. That's because Asheville itself is a tiny city and its arts district is just about a mile long. And according to the city's own website, it only carries about 200 artists and craftspersons down in the Asheville River Valley, which is the River Arts District. What's fascinating is that, yes, it was flooded in 1916, was the worst of the floods, and it took so long to bounce back, it wasn't until the 1970s that artists and artisans began to reclaim that area and really introduce the arts as an economic factor that endeavored to make Asheville more uh, alluring to visitors and artists, artisans alike. Everything there is quite modern, but there is like one really big antique store, but everything else has been really up to date and a lot of artist studios exist there. So it's very approachable and it's competitive, but at the same time, there's such a neighborly feel, a community feel to Asheville that artists and people endeavor to help each other, which is how it got to where it is today. And uh, what it means is that there's a dynamic exhibition rotation uh, schedule with exhibitions and such. And we're not even talking about those artists who empower themselves by creating artist spaces to show. With that, I just wanted to make one more announcement that our Kickstarter is absolutely taking off. Uh, we're more than 50% of the way there. We're raising $1,500 to fund a really fantastic editor to produce our next three upcoming documentaries. One on the Croatian art scene in Zagreb. Another a cross-country trip where we stopped by six different United States cities and spoke with gallery owners on how they were reopening. And the last one is Dumbo, D U. MBO, the district under Manhattan Bridge Overpass. Very excited to get these underway and uh, to have them um, start editing. Still a lot of work to do to finish our Kickstarter uh, focused campaign, so please check the uh, link in our liner notes. That's where you can find everything access to our website, to the original documentary in the show notes. And with that, I wanted to turn it over to Julie Armbruster. When I first met Julie at her studio in Wedge Studios, it was totally by accident. I was following the art, putting my nose to the ground and looking for where the dope art places were. Wedge Studios was that place. One of a few, I might add, in the art district. But the Warren, the multiple floors and the open setup for a lot of the studio spaces made for a really enticing art experience and 
it was just absolutely wondrous to come upon her pieces that were so character driven and these fun pastel colors I just could not pass up I bought some pieces home and I hope that you enjoy this audio interview that we have with Julie Armbruster so much so that you decide that you want to make Asheville your next place to visit without further ado and we're here with Julie Armbruster Miss Armbruster, you are in the Wedge Building, is that if I understand correctly, in Asheville? Is that right? That is accurate. The uh, River Arts District here in Asheville, North Carolina. Now, the River Arts District in North Carolina used to be some kind of like large commercial area for Asheville, and it flooded back in the day, and it was rendered basically useless for a number of years. Now, how much of that registers with you every time you drive through there? Did you, uh, when did it, when did it come to pass that you realized that you were driving through a reclaimed section that was saved by the arts? Well, it was obvious as soon as I moved here in 2004, um, it had already started the art renaissance here in the district. And, um, since I've lived here, there was a major flood actually in 2004 and it destroyed a lot of artists' studios and, you know, they've had to restructure a lot of things, but the city has invested a bunch of money into um, working with the river and, and trying to um, make different pathways for the water so it doesn't come up the bank into the River Arts District, but it is still technically a flood zone. So as far as like a flood, we're talking about first floor is uh, damage, uh, you know, upwards of like a foot, something like that. Or we're talking like really big um it was it was really extreme um oh, even the one that when i was here there, there was one that i've seen like black and white photos from a long time ago that was like really really bad but um when i was here yeah it was pretty extreme you know a lot of things got ruined a lot of things got damaged it was basically the ground floors um everything got ruined yeah, well, that's what I guess what happens with the arts. It could be the ground floor for a lot of uh, economic changes in areas. Um, that's what we really talk about a lot on artifications, the gentrification, the way that the economies change. Something really important to that is artist studio space in a, in a region. You're in the Wedge Building, and I, I talked about that at the top. And now, it, it's for those of you who don't know, check out the documentary Artifications.us or just look up the Wedge Building. And uh, you'll, you'll find that it's just a maze of artist studios, multiple floors, and, and uh, I absolutely love it. How did you come upon that space, and is there an axe, is, is space like that accessible for most artists in the area? So the Wedge is pretty special in that there isn't mm-hmm. a lot of turnover. Once somebody accepts a studio here, it usually kind of flows through like them and then friends of them and friends of them. Um, it's, it's harder to get a space here because there aren't that many and people hold on to them. Makes sense. Uh, I moved into the Wedge in 2009 um, before the city invested a bunch of money into making it more tourist friendly. And by, by that, I mean like sidewalks and signage and, you know, just cleaning up all of the really like broken down looking things. And um, so at that time, in 2009, it was just um, art studio space. It was not really so much of a, a destination for people to come shopping. Um, it has changed significantly since then. Um, and in the beginning, it was, it was just a weird amazing um force that got me the space i i met the person that was organizing it um i was um, going to share it with a, a jeweler 
um, and we shared the space for many years. And how so, is how is access to studio space now? Uh, is there is there a complaint to the community, or is it accessible? It's very accessible. Oh, um, they spent a lot of money in um, in the tourism sector just to make it obvious that we're open every day and that you can. Um, directly contact an artist that you like and you can come see their space and you can make an appointment if you want. And, um, things are open all the time here. So that is kind of where they've, they've shifted it from being just working space to a very, like a different approach to selling art through the, um, direct contact. Right. And so people are directly contacting you all the time, then you're accessible. And so, yes. Julie Armbruster in Asheville uh, started somewhere else. You're not you're not original to the area. Can you tell us how you came upon? What was your story on how you got to Asheville, please? Absolutely. So I grew up in upstate New York in the Hudson Valley. Um, I did my undergraduate school there at New Paltz, SUNY New Paltz. Um, I did my grad school in New York City, and I lived in New York City um, for two and a half years. And by the end of it, I needed to. Um, I needed something totally different. You needed out of New York. (laughs) I just needed, well, basically I had this like terrible feeling that I was losing the like idealism that I had in my youth. Of course it happens to people anyway. So I wanted to join the AmeriCorps and the AmeriCorps had a sector in Asheville where you commit a year of service. It's like the Peace Corps, but in the U.S. You commit a year of service and then you learn about the community and you help them. What did and, it need? Uh, what did what service is? Did Asheville have a have a emptiness that the AmeriCorps filled? What happened? What was going on there? How were you helping out? It was literacy tutoring to high school students. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the, the city has grown by terrifying. leaps and bounds, so it obviously yeah. worked. And thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I I feel very lucky to come in when I did. And um, well, you set up roots, yeah. obviously. Well, how was that transition from visitor to resident? Well, being being part of the AmeriCorps, you know, you're you're deeply enmeshed in the community mm-hmm. and helping people with projects that they need. So you understand the community, you understand what they need, you are like physically helping them. So I felt like that um, that definitely brought me into a different version of city life and and community life. And because of that, I was able to meet a bunch of people and get um, a part time job that. That helped me patch an income before my studio was really great financially. I mean, that's a that's the way the city came to help you uh, settle in. (laughs) It it kind of it kind of tapped you on the shoulder and said, "Uh, -uh, you're not leaving. We're keeping you. We like you." (laughs) So I mean, I so the reason why Asheville works for me and and why why I decided to stay is because I needed I, I knew from from grad school that I needed a lot of studio time to develop my work and Mm -hmm. the way that you can get a lot of studio time is to do minimal work for money like a regular job and then have plenty of time to experience your studio and um when i moved here that was absolutely possible now it is less possible because of the increase of every expense but um it is certainly more possible here than in new york city for instance Thank you so much, Julie, because that actually helped me put a lot of things in perspective. How did how people can see your art is, um, well, it's kind of unique. Everybody, uh, 
I, I'm having difficulties describing the colorful, character-driven pieces that, that you create that normally uh, entail a story of some way that you're conveying. Um, so I highly encourage everybody to check it out for themselves. But it, it, it looks like it's as a result of high concentration and character development. So you answered part of that question. And, and so now, uh, who is your favorite character that you've developed? And can you tell me how you came about them? Sure. Um, all of the characters are developed through intuitive drawing. Intuitive so, drawing? Um, what is intuitive drawing? Intuitive drawing is based on a surrealist game where you just sort of um, throw some materials down and then look at the painting or look at, look at the mess that you've created and then figure out what is there. Wow. Um, it is, you know, I'll start with very light colors, like, like yellow, yellow washes. And, um, I had a background in Renaissance art. So a lot of the Renaissance artists started with an ochre background mm -hmm. when they started their painting. So it has that similar glow factor to it. So it actually helps the painting, no matter how much history you put on the on the panel before you develop it, it all helps the painting. So it's sort of just like messing around and then figuring out what you can find and then um, <laughs> and then pulling it out when you find it. Yeah, you pulled out some characters. <laughs> you pulled out some characters. I, I must say. It is surprising say. to me as well. It is absolutely surprising to me when it happens. A classical background is. to colorful characters. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> You, you you have the the background that you the intuitive drawings and then mm -hmm. out pops a cute raccoon or something. <laughs> What's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tackle. and then and then usually it's the expression of the of the uh, the creature that develops. Um, they're usually human animal hybrids, so they're not necessarily one or the other. Mm -hmm. And um, oftentimes, because of this process, they end up with a lot of strange, like, quirky add-ons, you know, like an extra eyeball or, like, an extra, you know, like, something or other, you know, like, <laughs> there are arms in a cast, you know, like, any kind of, like, interesting, like, add-ons, but it is all there, and then it, it reveals itself. So much, so much color in these pieces, so much personality in these pieces. Um, one of the, th I, when I, when we visited your studio, it was, it was a pleasure. And I remember I left with a little pin, uh, a seated, a, a gentleman seated in a lotus position with a long white beard and a bald head. Uh, yes, beard is actually pink. Well, tell me about him. Very tell me pink. about him. Is it, tell um, me about him. Well, that, um, I I have tried to approach my commissions the same way. So that was actually commissioned for Highland Brewery, which is an amazing um, brewery that is centered here in Asheville. I remember it well. And, um, they had commissioned me to develop a can design. And I, um, you know, I figured out what the can shape would be if you wrapped it around. So it was basically like a, a rectangle, a long rectangle. And then I, I went about it the same way that I normally do. However, there was there was a little add-on bonus, and I and I love these. This is like it brings you back to you know like art school days where you have like some kind of cool challenge. I do this for myself always, and the cool challenge was that um, they gave me a name, and mm -hmm. it, the name the name of the beer was going to be Zombie Story, <laughs> and it was based on this is the best because we live in the South, we have lots of churches, and. and um, the churches often have these signs outside in the, in the yard and the, um, the brewery crew like went around to all the churches and they would take pictures of signs if they were really interesting. 
Anyway, this one happened to be up during Easter, and it was the sign said a zombie story, and they're like, "This is so perfect." Um, I appreciate a that was I appreciate a religious institution with a sense of humor. Really, <laughs> agreed, agreed. How's um, can I ask you something? I, I just I realized that we're running short on time, and I haven't okay. even asked you about. Your sense, how has your sense of humor held up during the past year and change with, with the C19 rearing its head on all these economic communities and galleries opening back up after being closed for so long? How was your space affected? How have you been dealing with it? Well, um, in my opinion, a lot of people kind of rushed the opening of things here. Um, they didn't see it as the biggest threat of our, of our lifetime, the way that I have come to see it. Um, my mom is actually, um, she lives in upstate New York. She had COVID-19 kind of early in the uh, pandemic. And, um, you know, I have a six-year-old human child. So she is, you know, like obviously someone that I'm always worried about the future for. And um, the yeah the uh, you know i shut down so right now i have my door shut even though it's a semi-public space um and i just do appointments now so it has sort of shifted from unlimited open spaces to, to for me and this is this is my choice um to be more um, of a presence online and more of a presence um in the gallery that supports me here horse and hero and to just kind of shift my my studio um Towards that. Oh, I hear that. I hear you with uh, with the shift to the online and, yeah. uh, you know, to work with the other galleries. It's forcing you to kind of stretch out. Have you have you uh, how often do you show in other places outside of uh, of your town? And do you submit your work to different kind of uh, exhibition spaces? How does what's your approach? To that? Uh, yeah. Well, I've taken it easy on that. Also, um, I think a lot of pressure right now with the conditions that we're faced against. It's just not. It's just not helpful for me to just like put all of my efforts into something that's just going to get canceled. So I'm just taking it easy on that. And, or, you know, like the whole idea is exposure. If it's a virtual like gallery, online gallery show, it's just not going to be enough for me. So I'm not going to like really like invest a lot of energy into that right now. So I'm working on actual paintings here in the studio and that's what i'm best at anyway well that's that's actually what my what my question was leading up to how has your online presence adjusted in the interim how have you shifted yeah so um it was um a challenge for sure in the beginning you know everything shut down and and we were quarantined so even getting to the studio was impossible um the studios um are you know like our um the people that we pay rent to the owners they uh they gave us a break yeah. for a couple months so the the pressure of that was just off you know like there was no pressure at all so it's just more of like how you take up the day with your family at home yes. without you know killing each other <laughs> and um a lot of exercise a lot okay, of exercise yeah. a lot of you know like long walks you're in the right place for that <laughs> yes, exactly. We can just walk out the door and just keep walking. Um, well, yeah, so that has been a shift. Um, but it's I've, one that's been positive for you. Have you, uh, have you been able to, have you seen an increase in uh, online activity? In, in what way has that manifested for you? I think, yes. 
Yes. So early on, I joined the artist support pledge. Okay. And I just did that as an opportunity to be like, oh, well, what could this possibly do? You know, everything on the internet seems kind of, you know, unreal yeah. until it's real. So of course, yeah. To, uh, Spoken anyway. like a true New Yorker, by the way. <laughs> anyway, so I I put some stuff up for that, and you know, it was it was it was really good. It was wonderful to. To, to ship paintings to all over to the Instagram friends and, and supporters and new people. And so I did that. I only did it once, um, but I can do it again. I thought it was, I mean, it was immediately successful. So that was great. There's a lot of success to, to be had in the, as we open up and get back to some kind of new normal. I, I, nobody knows exactly what it is, but I will say that this has forced many galleries and artists and institutions to, reorient their idea of inventory listings uh the way that they the way that they manage their online media presence everything has shifted uh out of necessity and uh, necessity is of course the mother of invention <laughs> so uh -huh. we're gonna have to get a lot more uh we're gonna have to follow the uh, you know the lead of places that do open up but have to shut down again i don't know how it's gonna work but I'm excited to see how Asheville uh, reopens because it is such a popular destination. And with that, I, I encourage everybody to visit your destination. Where does your art live online, Julie, please? I am at juliarbrewster.com. It is, yeah, it's my Etsy site. You, it's heard, my it. Website. <laughs> you heard it here, people. Check it out. <laughs> And Julie, thank you so much for taking some time uh, with us here and uh, for being such an awesome presence with your colorful art. Thank you. Appreciate it. Once again, thank you to Julie R. Brewster. This has been Artifications, where we make the art world just a little smaller. Recorded in Brooklyn, New York, the music that you heard was by Roland Ramos and James Rasmussen. Follow us at Facebook, subscribe on YouTube and Patreon, and you can find links to everything in our show notes. Thanks for spending some time, and keep creating.